Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is podcast episode number 158. And we're going to talk about taking pictures of fish. Why would you even want to do such a thing? Well, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But first, I wanted to mention that in a couple of episodes, and when we hit episode 160 in a few weeks, I will be engaging in another Fly Fishing Accusations podcast. And all that is is an opportunity for me to answer questions on the podcast. So if you've read something on castingacross.com, if you've heard something on the podcast and you have a question or a comment or an accusation, then feel free to let me know, Matthew at castingacross.com, and I'm happy to interact with that. And those are always great because they do give me an opportunity to touch on some topics that might not last 20 minutes. It might be a three to five minute uh, conversation about something fly fishing related, and that's a great opportunity for me to do so. And oftentimes those topics and those themes come up through listener and reader feedback. So definitely reach out, Matthew at castingacross.com. So once again, we're going to talk about taking pictures of fish, fly fishing photography. Why would you want to do that? Because it's fun and because fish are pretty and it's part of the experience. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the philosophy of taking fish pictures, the maybe cultural impulse to record every moment and not live in it and all that sort of stuff. But let me just kind of summarize my thoughts in a few minutes before we get to actually talking about how to do it, because I do want this to be more about steps for good fish pictures, not uh, how your heart should be before you go taking pictures of fish. But I do think it's important to say, you know, you don't need to take a picture of every fish. Uh, a lot of really bad pictures of fish I see online, a lot of really bad pictures of fish I've taken myself, they're bad pictures because I just wanted to take a picture of the fish so I could have a picture of the fish so I could have a, 
it on my camera roll. So maybe I could have B-roll for the website. Uh, so maybe I could just show, hey, look, I caught this fish. And that's not necessarily the best reason. But if you legitimately say, I'm proud I caught this fish, or this fish is an interesting coloration, or I just, I really want to picture this fish for, for myself or, or for another valid reason, then go for it. If you think that taking pictures of fish is going too far, then I would really assess why you're fly fishing in the first place. Taking a picture of a fish well is a significantly less stressful experience to that fish than you pulling it in using a hook that goes into its mouth. But hopefully you're, you're past that if you are at least two and a half minutes into this podcast. Uh, but I would also say, you know, your fishing experience is not defined by how you record it for others that you know or anonymous others that are online. So just throwing that out there. But again, that is not so much how to do it. It's kind of why we do it. I love taking pictures of fish. I like doing it so that I have good content for the website. But if you if you notice, I don't put a ton of fish pictures up. Uh, and part of that is because that's only one aspect of, of fly fishing. It is not realistic for me uh, for three articles a week for 52 weeks a year to put up however many, you know, 160 pictures of fish. That's just not what fly fishing is. Do I have a lot of fish pictures on my phone and on my camera that I could use? Absolutely, but that is not what fly fishing is. So if I'm writing about uh, gear, why would I take a picture of a fish? Well, to do that, I would probably need to make sure that I catch a fish using that gear, and then I stage everything such that that gear is also in the picture of the fish. And to me, that's just going over and above how I want to be spending my time outdoors. I'm not a professional angler. I'm not a professional photographer. I'm not even a professional whatever this is, podcaster slash author. Uh, so that's not how I spend my time outdoors. Uh, so I don't have pictures of fish for everything. But I like taking pictures of fish. For that, I like taking pictures of fish because of just their beauty, the way that they were created. It elicits joy for me and for my kids and for my friends. And so I like to take pictures of, of fish for that reason. But you want those pictures to be good pictures. I have plenty of old disposable camera negatives and actually developed film from back when I was a teenager where there are really bad pictures of washed out small stocked fish that I just took pictures because the fish were there. And those pictures have very little, if any, value at this point anymore. So the question is, how do you take pictures of fish that are not only good pictures, but good for the fish? So. I'm going to try to combine those two themes as I talk about this for the next 10 or 15 minutes because I think that they are not mutually exclusive. It's not just about taking care of the fish and it's not just about taking good pictures. You can do both and have some really, really good photography as you take care of the resource that we've been uh, given the responsibility to steward in the fish and their environments. So the first thing that I think is worth mentioning is know your camera. Now, if that is your cell phone, which for most of us, it's our cell phone, know how to use it. Can you take a good picture of a piece of fruit on a table? And if you can't take a good picture of a piece of fruit on a table, you are not going to be able to take a good picture of a trout in a river. That's just the fact of the matter. And some of that is is artistic. And I understand that not everybody has that same artistic photographic eye. And that's okay. 
but can you at least get it in focus? Can you at least frame it right? Look online at how people take pictures of items. Can you somewhat replicate that? Are you familiar with the settings on your camera, but again, for most of us, on your phone enough that you know how to position that phone in relation to your subject and where it sits in its surroundings so that it can actually be the subject of your picture. That it's not a picture of a table that happened to have an apple on it, but it's a picture of an apple on a table. Um, using, just for example, portrait view on an iPhone. It can be really overused, but it can also be used to great effect. How can you then, once you take that picture, use the editing tools that are that are native to that phone, they're not super advanced, but it's also not something where you have to learn an entire suite like Photoshop or something like that to use. But can you adjust the brilliance? Can you adjust the contrast? Not to make the picture something that it isn't. And I know that I'm like rattling off a lot of stuff, but that's also, I think, really, really important. You know, I'm not going to fuss or whine about somebody using a filter or over editing a picture. It's just not my cup of tea. It's not the way that I want to see your adventure, and it's not the way that I want to portray my adventure. Black and white's kind of fun, but really messing with things to, you know, ramp up the color, ramp up the intensity, ramp up the contrast so that it just looks artificial and fake. I don't personally believe that is a great representation of what we do when we're outside. I don't even really think it's that artistic. It can be abstract, it can be derivative, it can be used to kind of make a point, but as far as communicating what we do, I, I it's just not my cup of tea again. So um, that being said, know how to use those, those settings for simple, subtle adjustments that can compensate for maybe the the setting being a little bit less than ideal, the lighting in the room being bad, the subject moving slightly, things being a little bit out of focus. Just learn how to do that. And again, do it with a still object and figure that out first. Because just like anything, if you can be capable and competent in a controlled environment, once you get into a not controlled environment, you're going to be more efficient and effective with your camera. So get to know what you have. Take in a quick spin through YouTube to see the best way to use your iPhone or just mess with it. And that is going to give you a great advantage when you get on the water. So when you're on the water, you catch a fish, what should you do? Now, I am not a huge fan of grip and grins. And so what, is, what does that mean? That means it's a picture of you holding that fish way out in front of yourself, arm extended, uh, with that fish kind of looking dopey right in front of the camera lens. Now, there are opportunities for that. If you catch a huge fish and you have someone who's there with you and you're able to set up your camera and take that picture, then that's awesome. Or if you catch a really big fish and you happen to have a rock or a tree that's streamside where you can just set your camera and set your timer up and take a quick picture, then I think that's fine as well. But of course, all of the proper fish handling techniques that you are aware of you should employ keep that fish wet make sure that it's not in stagnant muddy water and back to the previous topic know how to use the timer on your camera quickly and effectively so that you're not fiddling and messing with that while this fish is in your net or still kind of swimming around you i'm not opposed to people doing that it just needs to be done quickly and effectively because again if that is too much if that's one step too far then you need to be questioned why and how you're fishing in the first place so just be aware of of that and if not don't don't push it and when you do take that picture, and this is my, again, my opinion, this is not the law, this is not some sort of moral uh, issue, but uh, if 
don't have a dopey look on your face. Don't look angry that you caught the fish. Uh, don't look uh, like 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 the fish with your mouth agape and your eyes dead. If you're going to make a goofy face in the fish picture, then maybe you should consider whether your face should be in the fish picture or not. Uh, now, I understand that all of us have different faces and different expressions, but sometimes I see pictures on Instagram and online and people are just, they look like they're not happy that they're fishing and then they take a picture of themselves with a fish. I would gladly fish for you if you want someone to enjoy the experience because I want you to enjoy the experience. So just that's just my two cents. I'm not sure of anyone who says, wow, that person looks super disinterested. And if anything, they look like they're having a bad day. That's a great fish picture. If that's the case, just have your hands in the picture of the fish. That's totally fine. But if you want to be in it, that's great. Just maybe smile or at least just you know look, look decent and normal. But if if I'm way off base on that, let me know. But the, the dopey face or the disinterested face or the just apathetic face in the fish picture, I, I just don't get it. I could talk at length about some of the silly staged photographs that we see in fly fishing, but that's not really what this podcast is about. So the next thing I would say is figure out where the light is. Figure out where the light is. A really good picture of a fish can be ruined by glare. A really good picture of a fish can be ruined by shadow. And those are much more basic concepts than talking about kind of how the sun and the light are going to affect the exposure of the picture. Because uh, our settings on our phones and on our uh, fancy digital cameras these days will take care of a lot of that for us. But you have to get out of the way of some of the extremes which come from shadows and which come from direct sunlight. So fish are going to be shiny. Every fish is going to be shiny. Um, everything from a catfish to a, a large-scaled carp. Um, that's not the species. Carp have large scales, so I'm saying. No matter what the fish, it's wet and it has been built to be wet, so it's going to be shiny in direct sunlight. And the problem with, with trout when they are in that situation is that it's going to wash out the coloration. So you're going to have this half of the fish or this stripe across the fish that's completely washed out of bright, bright light. And then you can't even get cute with your settings and adjust that because then the rest of the fish is going to be incredibly dark. So how do you do this? Position yourself. Rotate your body. And you do this by figuring out where the sun is, figuring out if there's reflection coming off the water or some other source, and then positioning the fish, the subject of, of, of the photograph, in a position where it is not taking the brunt of that sunlight. That might mean that the sunlight is at your back and that you are creating a shadow that is encompassing the entire fish. That's a very, very simple way of doing it. Or it might just be shifting yourself over a little bit so that some trees are creating some kind of ambient shade around you so that you're not having a direct reflection onto that fish when you pull it out of the water. And you, if, if the water is, is glary as you're looking down at that fish is, when the fish is underneath the water in your net and it's going to be glary on the fish. I don't know if glary is a word, but you know what I mean. When you pick that fish out of, out of the water, that sunlight or that um, reflected light is going to be bouncing off of that fish and it's going to create a less than ideal picture. Now, that being said, just because you're in the shade doesn't mean that you're in the clear because if you have something like your hand with your camera that is between the fish 
and the light, the main light source, now you're going to have a shadow that is on the fish. And even if the sunlight isn't super bright, but the light source is between, you know, your, your hand and your camera is between the fish and the light source, you're now going to have a block of some sort either on the fish, which is the worst case scenario, or just in the frame. And that's not going to be good. And that's not, maybe not the thing you're going to be noticing right away, but that's why it's important to be able to kind of quickly and almost simultaneously look at what you're taking a picture of so the actual fish in the foreground and what your camera is seeing because that camera isn't as complex and as not as sophisticated as your eye and that means it's going to exaggerate some of those shadows a little bit more when it actually takes the picture so just be aware of that are there are there trees that are creating a modeled effect over that fish because the leaves are in between the light source and your subject um, is, is your body covering up the tail of the fish? Now, shadows are one thing, and in a similar vein, think about how are you holding that fish? What are you wanting to emphasize? Are you wanting to emphasize that there's a fish in your net, or are you wanting to take a picture of that fish's nose to its tail? Um, do you want to get its fins in the picture? You know, you have a brook trout with beautiful white-tipped fins. You have a brown trout with a bright red adipose fin. You have those elements in that fish. When you are holding it, are you covering those things up? People don't want to see your fingers, and and especially if your fingers are covering up some of those really you know notable aspects of that fish. Now, if it's a really big fish, you just kind of got to hold it how you got to hold it. So again, you're keeping it wet as much as possible and you're simply cradling that fish. But no one wants to see if you have like a, like a 10 inch native brook trout, awesome fish, but you don't want to see, nobody else wants to see you holding that thing such that everything kind of from its anal fin down is covered up by your hand holding its tail and your fingers are coming up over its pectoral fins onto its face, like covering its, its mouth. Yes, it's a very secure way to hold that fish, but that is not going to be a great photograph. Similarly, similarly, a fish sitting in your net that's still somewhat submerged, it's not always going to be a great picture. It, oftentimes, that net is covering up big portions of that fish, and you're losing out on kind of a frame of reference of how large it is. Now, a large fish in a net is going to be a cool picture. But you even have to position things such that you're able to see either the, the entire size of that smaller fish or pull it up out of the water ever so slightly. So it's still in the net, but you holding a 8-inch fish in a net and that thing being kind of doubled over itself on the bottom of, of the net, it's just not a great picture. Yes, it checks a box. It's a very safe way to take a picture of fish. It's a very healthy way for that fish, but it's not a great photograph. And at that point, you say, well, what, what's the point? Also, don't squeeze fish. It's not good for the fish, and it doesn't make for good pictures. It looks like you're killing it, probably because you are killing it. Uh, the, the innards of a fish are relatively fragile. They have high tolerances to being compressed because they do that to themselves. But uh, in the way a, a person squeezes a fish, that's not something that they're going to encounter uh, under normal circumstances. So don't do it, and it's not a great picture. You'll look at it later and be like, ugh, I shouldn't use that. I can't use that. Now I feel bad. All right, so one more thing to cover, but just to in in you know looking back, know your device, be able to use it under controlled circumstances, figure out how to take a well-framed, well-set-up photograph under controlled circumstances, 
then know where the light is coming, know where the shadows are, know what else is going to be in that picture, whether it's your body or other stuff, and then be aware of the most important elements of that fish that you want to capture. And I'd even say of the background, you know, a, a fish up against dirt like dirt in the background, you know, you don't put the fish on dirt, of course, you know, but you holding it with just the stream bank on the background, that might be a great picture. But if you can rotate ever so slightly and get some of the water in there, maybe get a waterfall, maybe just get kind of an upstream shot or downstream shot. Those are small things to think about. As, and if you get used to it, and if you get kind of um, into, into a habit of, of thinking about those things, then that's not going to take any extra effort. It's not going to put that fish at risk to get that good picture. And it's going to create a better picture and a better memory and if you have some sort of purpose for it like you know online or or simply just just sharing with people then it's going to be a much better picture and then of course highlight those parts of that fish that you want to see certain fins heads tails things like that um, and then make sure that you're not hurting the thing the last thing I would say is feel free to get creative and you can really take care of a fish in this way uh, you can take some really cool pictures of fish underwater and I'm not saying you have to put your camera underwater I'm saying having that fish just sitting underwater whether you're holding it or it's in the net or you are you have just about to net the fish those can be some great pictures and they're much much more natural than you holding the thing up and certainly you smiling behind it um, you can take parts of the fish and take photographs of them so as I've held a fish underwater as I'm reviving it its tail might be just barely sticking up or its fin might be sticking up its dorsal fin might be sticking up or I just cradle the thing ever so slightly as I'm getting the hook out of its mouth and take a picture of its head as it's it's still sitting in the water those are really cool pictures and they're they're different it's not just a a picture of a 14 inch fish kind of in my hand, you know, draped over over the, my palm sitting in the water. Those are cool pictures, but to diversify and take different pictures, pictures of the fish from a high angle, from a low angle, from the side, front to back, back to front, you name it. Again, if that is something that you kind of have to think about on the spot, it might take a long time and it's not going to be ideal for that fish. You're going to have it out of the water too long. You're going to be messing with it too much. But if you anticipate and say, hey, uh, it'd be cool if I catch a fish today, I'll, I'm going to take a picture of its tail, me kind of cradling its tail uh, as I release it. Then you can say, all right, I'm getting ready to release it. I've got my camera ready. The it, I, I know where the light is. I know where the shadows are. I'm going to let this fish go and snap, 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 snap. And that's another great thing. I, I know I'm kind of going along with this podcast. With a digital camera uh, on your phone or, or an actual camera, take a billion pictures. Snap, snap, snap as you let that fish go. One might be great. Seven might be deleted instantaneously. But don't don't be afraid to do that because then you will have potentially something that turns out really cool. And I've found that that's the case. For every 20 pictures I take, maybe one or two are going to be really good pictures. The rest are probably worth deleting and they might be good B-roll stuff. But in summation, take pictures of your fish. Enjoy your time outside. Treat the fish well. Don't get bent out of shape about how many likes this is going to get. Just take pictures and have a good time. This week on castingacross.com. The first article was called Written on Rotter, Stories of Maine's Grand Lakes Stream. 
This is a great little book. comes in at under 200 pages, but it's by Randy Spencer, and he has gotten into oral history. And so this is just a collection of stories, about half of which he witnessed firsthand, half of which he's received from other guides and locals up in northeastern Maine. And it's just a fun book. It's it's a kind of an anthology of different stories. So it's just something that you can pick up, read for 15 minutes, and it's a fishing story, but it's not a fishing story. And that's the kind of stories that I really, really like because uh, fly fishing is simply a character or a, a setting within the story. The Wednesday article was called, Go Big This Holiday Season, Shop Small. Go Big This Holiday Season, Shop Small. And I mentioned six or seven different small businesses within the fly fishing space that I think are great ideas for you to patronize this holiday season. Uh, there's a good chance if they are sourcing things locally, they're not going to be running into the same sort of supply chain issues that some of the larger companies are. Plus, you're going to probably be able to produce something a little bit more distinctive and unique if you go through a small company. Plus, it's great to patronize these small businesses, and they are putting a lot of work, and they're creating good stuff. So check that out. Um, a bunch of companies that I've mentioned before on Casting Across but uh, they're, they're definitely companies worth checking out again. This week's recommendation on the podcast is one of the companies that I recommend in that article. It's called Finest Fly Tying Benches of Colorado. You can find them at flytiebench.com, F-L-Y-T-Y-B-E-N-C-H.com. And I'll put a link to their website on the show notes to this podcast page on castingacross.com. But I have a bench from Finest Fly Tying Benches, and it's fantastic. Now, these are portable benches. Some of them are relatively small, the size of like a 15-inch laptop, and some of them are really big, the kind of thing that can be a permanent installation on a desk if you don't have a desk that is built for fly tying, which not all of us do. Uh, you see them a lot, but if you have a workbench in the garage or you have an office where you have a really, really big workspace and you don't want to add a whole new tying desk, this is going to give you everything you need, everything from lots of spots to store different threads, places for your tools to go, uh, a accessory light holder, uh, little drawers for keeping some materials, little cups and holding spots for beads and hooks, and then a nice clean work service where you can place materials as you work. Finest Fly Tying Benches of Colorado, they make great stuff. Everything is made by hand, and you can customize virtually everything. Colors of wood, placement of things, and they run between 100 and well, well close to half a thousand dollars for these different benches, but they are made to last. They are rock solid. They're kind of heirloom quality uh, devices that you will get years and years of use from. So definitely check them out. Uh, I will put, again, the link to their website, and you can check out their galleries, some of the different stuff that they have. Um, it's just really, really, really good quality equipment. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.